You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Larry Wald is president in Maine for TD Bank and has over 30 years of commercial lending experience. I also happen to know he's a runner and ran the TD Beach to Beacon and I think had a pretty good time if I'm remembering correctly. I was was able to crack the top 10 of my age group for the first time ever having run all 20. Oh wow, I didn't even realize that you were that guy, that you've actually, what do they call them, legacy Legacy runners? Legacy runners, yes. Yeah. Originally they were referring to us as streakers, but it's sort of morphed now into legacy runners. Is that because the runners who streak have a different connotation? Yeah, I think my mother took it the wrong way, and so I started changing it. That's good. It all comes back to your mother, doesn't it? (laughs) It We have to make her happy. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of an interesting thing, that you you finally were able to, to crack that, and you've been running for such a long time. What was it about this year that got you there? Well, I think uh, to some degree, attrition becomes your friend uh, in these events. Um, but uh, really was kind of a, a rededication and, and started uh, back this year running a little more regularly with uh, a younger group of guys that runs at noontime. I, I had been running with a, more frequently with a, more folks my age, and, and, and by shifting to run with the younger guys, it, it just forces you to pick the tempo up a little bit. And how about your son? Does your son also run with you? Uh, well, we, you know, we ran together quite a while ago, um, but he is, uh, at this point, one of them, Eric, is quite a bit faster than I am. He's got much younger legs. And his older brother, Brian, is a great athlete, but not a runner. So um, he, he has run a number of them, um, but, uh, but we don't end up running together. See, I had that experience also that uh, my son, Campbell, who knows your son, um, he agreed to run with me in the main marathon last year and then realized that his 23-year-old legs were much faster than his mother's <laughs> legs, which were roughly twice his age. <laughs> yeah. So he was very nice and ran with me the first half, and then the second half he's like, well, I think I just need to go faster. Yeah. It's kind of humbling, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is, but it's also, you know, you're glad your kids are active and of outdoors course. and capable of that stuff. So it's a, like so many things, right, kind of a mixed reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was really glad with Campbell because he was always he was always a soccer player and he was a baseball player. So running for him has been something that has kind of come to him in the last few years. Yeah, he usually, he like Brian, needs a ball to chase. Um, but then you discover that 
you know that gets harder and harder as the years go by finding a group to do that with and running is something takes very little gear and you can do it by yourself um, kind of any time any place I do love that about running yeah and about running in Maine because it's so beautiful here yes there are any number of just fabulous places to get out and go so why is it that TD Bank decided to become a sponsor of the TD Beach to Beacon? So the, the, the story goes back to when um, we were People's Heritage Bank and um, we were looking for some, some recognizable faces to be spokespeople for the, for the bank. And uh, we had approached Joan Benoit Samuelson about becoming the official spokesperson for the bank. And she came in for the, uh, for the meeting to just kind of talk about it. And, and on her way out of the meeting, noticed that uh, our then president, Bill Ryan, had a photograph on his uh, table of him finishing the New York Marathon. And that started the conversation about marathoning and running and Joni's dream of this race. And uh, we had some initial meetings, and uh, it was originally going to be us and, a, and another major company that were going to, to sponsor it. And kind of at the 11th hour, um, they opted not to, to participate. And so we stepped in uh, then as peoples and underwrote the first race. And it has taken off in a way I don't think even people like Joni who dream big, I think it's it's even probably outpaced her expectations a little bit. It, it seems appropriate in some ways because it's become an international race and TD Bank is an international company. So, you know, you probably have the kind of name recognition as a bank internationally as she does now for the runners. I've talked about the fact that the evolution of the race and the evolution of the bank have been kind of consistent, uh, you know, going from local to regional to national to international. And and also, you know, we like to think having proved that both the race and the bank, you know, can, can perform on a worldwide stage. Um, it's, it's been a great partnership. How did you get into banking? What was, I, I know that you have education in the banking field and you've been doing this a long time. So what was the original draw? Well, I, I originally, I, I, I came to Maine originally as a summer camp kid. And by the time I was probably 12, you know, I knew I wanted to live in Maine. And it was that same sort of innocent view of it that so many, you know, summer camp and college kids have um, and then the recognition that you actually needed to have a, a job for that to, to work and and at the time my father was serving a term as president of the board of the Greater Portland Chamber and there was a, a guy on the executive committee with him who ran uh, a bank and I was introduced to him and they had a wonderful training program that I was put into and so it was uh, not quite accidental because I knew I wanted to end up in in the, in, in the business world and in, and in the professional end of it um, but I didn't imagine I'd be at it still 30 plus years later. That seems unusual I mean for people to stay in a field for that length of time. 
I think it was much more typical a while ago, um, but but today to have been, you know, not only in the same industry for thirty plus years, but to have been now at the same bank for almost twenty seven years is unusual because I think we've recognized that that you need to push yourself professionally and and expand your professional horizons to have that that it's okay to 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 really want to be professionally fulfilled and where I've been fortunate is while I've been in the same building for almost 30 years it's it's really been several completely different organizations because it was a you know it was a local community bank and and it's worked its way up to now being this international company so I haven't had to leave the building or the profession or the company to have those different experiences and get that kind of fulfillment. I do remember having lived in Maine myself for the entire time that you've been in banking. I remember people's heritage very well and it was always it was always kind of a mystery to me. I guess I was younger and maybe that's why I was a mystery, <laughs> but as to why this evolution did take place. So why why in banking have we seen this movement from small local community banks to ones that are affiliated um, worldwide? Well, there are probably several factors that, that play a role in that. Um, but, but as you may recall, back, I mean, when I started, you weren't allowed, there wasn't what we called interstate banking. If you were licensed in Massachusetts or New Hampshire, you couldn't then bank people in Maine. And so it originally started by um, passing these interstate banking laws. And then, you know, companies need to change and grow. And there are different strategies to do that. And, and doing it by acquisition becomes one strategy. And Interestingly, what happens then is if you do a couple of these acquisitions, you recognize, okay, we, we need to have people dedicated to this and really good at it because executing on it is the critical piece. Well, then you have a team of professionals who you need to keep busy. And, and it's almost feeds on itself that, okay, well, we've, we've done this one and now we got to go find the next one to keep people happy um, or, or keep them busy and then at, at the same time you know because of the to some degree the regulatory climate which creates a lot of overhead you have to spread out um, and and the internet to some degree which has kind of made the banking business a little bit more of a, of a commodity the only way to to one way to adjust to that is is scale is get bigger. And so um, we, it's one of those interesting things that there was kind of never this public policy debate about do we want big banks or little banks, but yet behaved in a way that drove the banks to be bigger and bigger. You even see it today with the, the local community banks that you know have a town name at the very beginning of them that now are all expanding and growing into each other's territories. So it's been an interesting process. Well, and I know that one of my banks is TD Bank, which I, I think your tagline is America's most convenient bank. Correct. And one of the reasons I have kept this account is because 
you've done things within your industry which previously were unheard of with expanded hours and weekend hours and 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 that really made a big difference to me that you know banks were known for these sort of well they used to call them bankers hours right right they were very short and if you were still working when you <laughs> needed to deposit your check then you know you, you were, were just out, out of luck. luck yeah and i think trying to respond to the marketplace has really made a big difference it has and and once one person does that then the next you know your competitors do it and then you got to find the next thing to do so it really drives the industry which i think has been very healthy to make it i mean i'm sure it's no different in in this business that you know when a competitor tries something new that works you have to respond to it and then if you want to differentiate yourself you got to try something new beyond that and it's it drives the innovation that you know i think is what First of all, it makes being in business interesting, um, but it's also, you know, what's driven our country to be such an innovator and and do so many wonderful things that they've done. My understanding is that TD is a Canadian bank. Has there been any, um, I don't know, has there been any shifting within the banking industry as a result of TD having this, um, I guess, cultural influence from a different country? Uh, so it's been yeah it's been it's been a, a, as as our Canadian uh, colleagues say quite a process, and uh, you know the the goal is to be a North American bank, but but having two different regulatory climates would have made that challenging to begin with, um, but but the financial crisis of two thousand eight two thousand nine probably made that even more complicated than it uh, than it had been and and a number of the Canadian banks had had tried to come down here to the United States and establish uh, a, a foothold and quite frankly none of them had had any success and so there was a lot of skepticism when TD announced that it was buying Bank North and it um, fortunately has has been very successful. And we actually now have more retail locations in the United States than we have in in Canada, and uh, not a whole lot of people south of the border know necessarily that TD stands for Toronto Dominion. And I, I love the story that our our CEO was was vacationing up on. Um, on the coast of Canada uh, a couple of years ago, and he heard a couple of people with sort of that heavy New York, New Jersey kind of accent say to each other as they saw the TD Bank store up there, geez, I didn't know TD was in Canada now, uh, as though it was, you know, everything starts in, you know, uh, in the United States and migrates north, so. Uh. And you have had a very strong interest in also trying to develop a community presence in Maine. So not only are you trying to make things kind of uniform throughout the TD system in North America, but you also have tried to work with Maine businesses to, I guess, generate greater success and economic stability. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting balancing act because there are cultural differences and, and differences in how economies work in various places. So you have to find that balance between uniformity and consistency, which you, you have to have to manage something on, on this scale. 
but also remain flexible and adaptable locally. And I think the banks uh, generally, and I know TD in particular, has recognized we have a we have a role to play in community development. And typically, that's economic development, but not necessarily limited to that. And you know, one of the things we love about uh, the, the TD Beach to Beacon is it it has created economic opportunities for people and, and really become, to some degree, a little business all by itself and driven revenue into the, to the community. Um, but it's also been great from the standpoint that it gets people outdoors and active. It's family fun. I, I, I always talk about how what a great diverse event it is, right? Because it doesn't matter if you're young or old, male or female, fast or slow, fully you know capable of running or need a, a wheelchair or a hand cycle to do it. It, it, it kind of throws the doors open for anybody who wants to to participate in the event, even if all you do is volunteer. One of the things that you mentioned to our uh, main magazine managing editor, Paul Koenig, in the financial issue is that you've enjoyed seeing the, the new uses that some of our um, more traditional industries um, once had, for example, mills, the mill buildings that are being repurposed into um, spaces for creatives. And I thought that was an interesting comment that you're seeing um, almost this recycling of or repurposing of things. And as a bank, um, is there ever any, I guess, risk in trying to lend to entrepreneurs who are engaging in these new businesses? I think there always is, and, and that's that's the challenge for us is to figure out who you do business with and how you do business with them. Um, but but there's always, if you're not willing to, to take that on and manage it, you wouldn't survive in, in the business. And there are lots of agencies that we work with, the Finance Authority of Maine, the Small Business Administration, local kinds of organizations that provide support to more startup kind of of entrepreneurs um, and then as people develop a track record it becomes easier to manage that risk you almost never make it go you don't ever make it go away you just learn to to manage it and find ways to to work with it so that it's mitigated to to the appropriate degree I hope <laughs> but I, I think about our even our operations in Maine you know our operations center up in Lewiston is is in an old uh, textile mill and we have a state-of-the-art call center that's in uh, a shopping center uh, in an old store in the shopping center so it's you know we've really sort of not just supported other people doing it but we've kind of supported the process by taking part in it ourselves you and I both have children of the same age. My son was in your son's wedding over this Labor Day weekend. Yeah. And for me as a parent, knowing that there is a place to return to, should should my children want to return um, to Maine, is really important. How do you feel about the the opportunities that we're presenting to the next generation? 
Well, I think we're, we're, we're very keyed into it as a business community, and certainly as a, as a bank, we've got a real focus on trying to attract and retain um, the millennial generation, and who, who, quite frankly, I think have a bad reputation, uh, an ill-deserved bad reputation. Um, we've got a number of young folks working for us who are just as hardworking and hungry and dedicated as, as anybody in a previous generation was. They are motivated differently sometimes, um, and, and their work patterns are a little different, um, but they're no less motivated to, to do their best and, and to be successful. Um, but I, I think that the, the, the demographic shift we're undergoing is going to be interesting, and it's because there's going to be such a demand for workers um, that, that there is going to be a lot more opportunity in Maine. We just need to make sure it's good opportunity and the opportunity that people are interested in. So we obviously had this very significant uh, financial crisis about 10 years ago now. Do you feel like we're out of it? Oh, I think we're out of it from the standpoint of it being a crisis, and I think we've been out of that for quite some time. Um, I think people actually probably are starting to lose sight of how close that was to to you know the the, uh, the meltdown everybody really feared. I mean, there was a point in time there where you almost on a daily basis didn't quite know what was going to happen next. So we're we're clearly well past that, and and I think if you look in Maine in particular. Uh, housing prices, as a rule, have have come back to those pre-recession levels. Employment is back up to that level. But in some ways, you never put that. I mean, certain people won't ever be able to put it behind them because it, it interrupted their professional career or the, the housing crisis caught them at a bad time. And, you know, they might have lost a a job as a result of that and the value in their house declined and they weren't able to keep it. Um, so those those people still need a lot of help and, and support um, and there is opportunity out there and um, we're, we're, you know, it's a, there's a real fighting spirit to, to those of us who are in Maine. You know, whether you were born here or not, I don't think makes any difference. If, if you've come here, you've got to, you have to have a certain toughness about you just to to begin with, and so those efforts will continue. I think about my, again, thinking about my kids, our kids, and the fact that they, this was their, this was their grow, these were their growing years, you know, this is the financial crisis that, um, that they remember being a part of, you know, they were deciding where to go to college, and they were, you know, seeing people around them um, lose their houses and lose their jobs, and at least the ones that are in their 20s now, they're very aware of having come through this. And that's a that's kind of a difference between my generation, our generation, and theirs. It's yeah. a real sense that things aren't as stable as they seem. Uh, but every generation faces a different set of circumstances. But I, I see it even from my oldest to my youngest in terms of the the, the job environment when they graduated from college. Um, you know, when our oldest was was out, it was 
you know, jobs were not plentiful. It was it was pretty challenging to, to find good work opportunities. And now Lindsay having just graduated, there, you know, people are, are almost clamoring to, to hire young people with good training and education. So it, it has been an interesting shift. And they just, they, as we talked earlier, right, they see the world differently. And um, we were laughing about it at, at Eric's wedding over the weekend that, you know, when my friends were getting married, we all owned cars and rented tuxedos. And this generation all bought suits to wear so they'd have something to wear afterwards. And they, they rent their cars and, and they have a whole different approach to how they do things. And, and in a way, the, you know, the smartphone has replaced the, the, uh, the automobile as how you connect with people. You don't have to drive around and drive to someplace anymore. They can connect instantly just with a, you know, something in their pocket. Yeah, it is an interesting point that you're making. That um, it's just a it's just a placement of their priorities, their funds, their energy, and it doesn't. It's not really a good or a bad thing. It's just the way that they are versus, and not even all of them. I mean, that's the one thing I think about when I think about generate when we talk about generations like the millennials. Not everybody falls into the exact pattern that we expect every millennial to fall into. Right. The same way that as a generation Xer. I'm not like everybody in my generation. So I think that ability to look at patterns but not always pigeonhole people is very important. Yeah, and I, and I saw something fascinating not too many years ago. It was a, a reprint of two newspaper articles that basically was talking about this next generation and, and they don't have the same work ethic as us and they've had it too easy and, and you know, that whole storyline that you hear over and over again and 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 the first one was was written in like the 1870s and the second one written in the 1940s and I'm sure you could find another one that was written you know sometime in the 2000s and so everybody looks back and and thinks they had it harder and and had to work more than everybody else and uh, we've we've managed to thrive pretty well with uh, with each successive generation coming along and I I think we hardly got everything right so I think there's a good chance they'll you know have the opportunity to fix some of the things we didn't do very well <laughs> I think that's probably true. And knowing my field, um, the field of medicine, I'm encouraged to see Campbell and his peers going into um, what some people are describing as sort of a crisis time. But this is just, they're just, they're just there. So to them, this is, this is medicine, and they're going to experience it differently. And they're probably, hopefully, working with people that have been there in the field for a while, going to come up with some new solutions and a new approach. And I think it's really going to benefit all of us. Yeah, and I, and, and I don't think medicine is broken by any means. To the, to the contrary, it's, it's doing such great things. It's the business of medicine that, that is in turmoil right now. And, uh, and that'll, that'll sort itself out. I, I've got to believe it. it. It's too fundamentally important to not get figured out at some point. Well, I agree. So we'll just have to keep working on these issues right, right. with all the people who are ahead of us and in our, in our group and, and the, the people the, behind us. The technological changes that, that they have to take advantage of are absolutely fascinating. And I don't, it doesn't matter whether they're going into medicine or banking. There's cutting-edge technology out there that is absolutely amazing and, and that they have a comfort with 
that I know I never will. And so I think that they'll push the envelope on that in some absolutely fascinating ways in the, in the near term. I agree. I appreciate your coming in and talking to me today. I've been speaking with Larry Wald, who is the president of in Maine for TD Bank and has over 30 years of commercial lending experience. Thank you for the good work you're doing and, and keep it up. Thank you. Plan to. <laughs> Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.